Well, 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 hello folks and welcome to We The Peeps. This is the American Soccer Podcast in which you are going to get to know everything that you need to know about the USMNT. I'm Clayton and I'm a rapper. I'm Ty, I am an entrepreneur. And we love the Nets. Hell yeah, we do. For all times. For all fucking time, for the entire Ghana Bonanza. <laughs> Ghana Bonanza. Ghana <laughs> Bonanza. <laughs> the Ghana Bonanza. It's Ghana Bonanza time. It's Ghana Bonanza. Where's Kiefer <laughs> Sutherland when you need yeah. him? Cue Kiefer. <laughs> it's we the people. It's we the people. It's we the people. Folks, welcome back to our extended story time, our shelter in place. Yes, there is still a pandemic extended story time. Uh, Thank you for joining us once again this week. If you didn't already realize, is Ghana Bonanza. We are going to talk about uh, mainly about uh, 2014 Ghana versus the USA, but there are three important World Cup games that this squad, that our Nats, have, uh, have, have gone head to head. Uh, in which our Nats have gone head-to-head with Ghana, none other than. And all three are fascinating. They happened in back-to-back-to-back cycles, and so we'll be talking a little bit about all of those today. Welcome to the Ghana Bonanza. Folks, a little housekeeping. First of all, uh, keep in mind that if you have never seen these games, it's okay. If you vaguely remember these games, it's okay. If you'd like to pause now and sign up to create an account for Footballia net and watch these games uh, in mostly Russian. yeah in motion in <laughs> Russian uh, then you can do so um, uh, keep, be aware that the the 2010 match is dicey that stream <laughs> that really stream is really <laughs> ruins a couple moments tough stuff tough stuff <laughs> however uh, folks we're gonna talk about chopped it all and screwed. It, it chopped and screwed for sure um, we're gonna talk about it all if you whatever your context with these games is you'll be fine uh, you'll enjoy the convo um, please reach out to us on Twitter at WTP pod we love that and if you've been enjoying our extended story time getting to know your history so important so important uh then shoot us a review give us five stars i personally am starting to feel like i actually know my history um and it's all thanks mm-hmm. to this to this series and thanks to ty and uh sneak attack uh kwami's going to be joining us today as well um shall we dive into this thing end of housekeeping let's go LFG3X. LFG3X. Ty, can you start by bringing us up to speed? Uh, By the time Jurgen Klinsmann brought the Nats to the 2014 World Cup in Brazil, uh, lots had transpired. Um, Can you give us a little bit of context here? Yeah, so the beginning of the history, the the pseudo-rivalry, this is one of those rivalries where I don't think Ghana particularly feels that it's a rivalry. <laughs> it's more of an annoyance, and uh, the U.S. feels like it's a rivalry. Um, so the beginning of this is the 2006 game. It's the last game of the group stage where the U.S. had one point going into the game. So the U.S. needed a win, uh, and, and likely a big win, in order to have any shot to go through. Um, and Ghana, I think, had four points to that to that moment, so they they probably would have been fine with the draw. Um, 
Ghana was clearly the better side overall, um, but the U.S. did no favors for itself with a Claudio Howlerasso. In which he also gets injured, and it's sort of, this is like, the, yeah, sort of the last a, moment, the last Claudio Reyna moment ever. It's a double whammy, where, he, so, for some reason, Claudio Reyna is basically playing defensive midfield. Uh, Pablo Mastroeni was hurt. I think going into the game. By the way, this game is uh, this game is young Dempsey, 23, 24 year old Donovan, who had been in the previous cycle. But this is this is the emergence of of a of a player. Yeah, named it's, Clint it's the Dempsey emergence of sure. Deuce. It's it's one of the weirdest games I've ever witnessed tactically, where just the the it felt like there was really no plan and Bruce did a lot of stuff to just kind of get our best talent on the field. Um, and, you know, he was used to doing those kinds of things. Like we saw last week, we discussed uh, Bruce's teams. We were talking about putting Reyna out at uh, wingback in 02 and how well that worked out. Uh, in this particular situation, um, putting putting Reyna essentially at holding midfield didn't really work out, and he ended up uh, coughing up the ball and getting injured in the process. And so the U.S. lost its captain, best, best uh, you know, ball handler, and gave up a goal in the space of five seconds. So that was pretty brutal. Um, and the U.S. recovered in the game to draw a level uh, before the half through a fantastic Clint Dempsey, essentially a volley uh, from a from a really perfect whipped-in cross from the left from um, Beasley. DeMarcus. DeMarcus Beasley. So, who, who was all playing in central go. midfield, by the way, also. like <laughs> it's, it's so weird. Uh, so, so Beasley just whipped in the ball perfectly and, and, um, Clint slams it home one time. So epic. And Great celebration it's a match. here. Sweet it's Samba. A match. Yes. Um, <clears throat> but in the second half, there's like a fairly dubious penalty. Um, ball comes in. It's a, a, a cross that comes in and, uh, Oguchi gets called for basically like shoving the attacker. It doesn't really look like much, um, so it's it's kind of dubious, but the U.S. didn't have much of a claim to the game. There there weren't many you know huge chances outside of that. A couple decent chances for for uh, McBride and and I think one for Dempsey too. Um, but Ghana was better and and kind of squeezes out the win in the end. And I think that that game is mostly an indictment on Bruce's you know uh, tenure and just. In general, I feel like the two-cycle coaches just don't do as well. There's something just gets lost in that second cycle, as we saw with, with Jurgen later. And so I, I, I feel like uh, there's just, it gets stale. The approach gets stale, and it got stale in 06. So it's kind of the capstone of this disappointing 06 team that was supposed to go much further. Weird transition era team. So yep. fast forward then as... 10. Yeah. O ten. O ten. So we go to uh, so O ten. We talked about we this 10. last episode. This was this was post the Algeria game. Greatest moment yeah. in U.S. soccer history. Yes. The Bob Bradley empty bucket. You know, prime prime Dempsey, prime Donovan. Let's go. Welcome in Michael Bradley. Welcome in Josie Altador. Epic squad gets through the group stage and then. And the the team is good. And we saw that in the the game against Algeria, where they just they you know very easily could have won three nothing, uh, and you know the ball ball was uh, defying us. Um, but 
the the setup. So Bradley changes the setup uh, uh, in two important ways before the match. So he puts in Robbie Finley at striker instead of uh, Herc, and then he puts in um, Ricardo Clark as a defensive midfielder instead of Moadu. And I think the thought might have been uh, might have been fatigue. And, um, you know, that makes sense to a degree. Uh, but both of those choices ended up being really disappointing. The, they were both players ended up getting taken off uh, within 45 minutes. Uh, Ricardo Clark coughed up the ball at around 20 minutes in midfield, uh, which he was prone to do and very predictably led to a gone a chance and a goal. Um, and then he got hauled off. Uh, he, he got a yellow for frustratingly kicking uh I think it was Sully Montari, and then got got hauled off at thirty minutes or so. Um, young young Sully Montari, born old. Yeah, exactly. He was only eighty one years old at the time, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just a pup. Uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, Ricardo Clark was one of those players that um, Bradley brought in because he trusted. You know, he's sort of the Will Trap of the Bob Bradley era, where every freaking human being on the planet can tell he's not good enough for the spot. But he worked with Bradley when he was young at, at uh, Metro Stars, and they had a bond. And a, you know, he Bradley just trusted Clark, and even though Clark wasn't up for it, he just kept putting Clark in these big spots. And it's unfortunate. I I think this is the kind of thing that hampers a lot of coaches, uh, where they have they have their pet players, their Daniel Lovitzes, and if they just will. refuse to let go. They just refuse to let go. And it's, it's the sign of a good coach when you can move on and become comfortable with new players, you know, based on the evidence that you're getting and invest time in forging those relationships so you're not just relying on something that worked five years ago, Bob. And, yeah, Robbie Finley was, as we talked about in the last game, um, he was sort of supposed to be a simulation of Charlie Davies, uh, you know, similar style, similar type, but just not the same quality level. And so ultimately, you you know we we didn't really change the approach. We we were just like, all right, what's the best next best version of Charlie Davies we can find? Um, and Robbie Finley ends up with a, a guilt edge chance halfway through the first half that he fails to convert. That Charlie Davies probably does convert, and then he gets hauled off at uh, halftime for Failhaber. And so and the U.S. in the second half plays much better um, with with Edu and Failhaber in the middle instead of uh, having Clark and Finley. Finley and Altidore never really worked together. And it, it's it's just uh, it just makes you think, well, what could have been if if uh, if Edu and Failhaber had started from the off? And um, and, you know, it's, uh, so I think it's ultimately both of these games are are decided by errors, uh, either tactical errors or the errors on the field, the the um, Reyna and uh, Clark uh, Howlers. And, you know, the 2010 game was much tighter. Um, the U.S. did a much better job in possession. The U.S. had long periods where it was dominant, uh, where, you know, Ghana was really on their heels. And the goal, ultimately, the, equal, the, the winner from Ghana doesn't quite come out of the run of play. It's it's a ball over the top to Gian, who, you know, he's he's facing the two U.S. center backs and Howard and somehow finds a way to get the ball in the net, which is just, you know, he's a great striker. I, I always kind of blamed Howard more for the goal, um, but looking back on it, I mean, it's just a great hit. And I think you can, you can blame the organization of the two center backs a little bit. Um, but 
sometimes a great player just gets you like that. So, so in the end, I think the U.S. played much better in, in 2010 overall and was just kind of pegged back by this, this uh, error from, from Clark and the kind of tactical mistakes from Bradley. And that, that U.S. team just had a penchant for falling behind. And, you know, the, the announcers wouldn't let you uh, hear the end of it, how the U.S. had given up these early goals and had continually clawed back into the game or, or missed chances and found a way, like in the Algeria game. And uh, it just kind of finally came back to haunt the U.S. in, in that, that final match. Um, but it's very unfortunate because the Ghana went on to face uh, Uruguay, who were very, you know, strong as always, but... Hardly the juggernaut you'd expect to get in the round of eight. Um, so it's conceivable the U.S. could have been a semifinalist in that tournament, the way that things broke out. And it was just a, a couple big big blunders that, that uh, stopped us from getting there. Sad, and sad that story. sets the stage. And that sets the stage. So fast forward <laughs> us to 2014. Um, just a little bit of just a little bit more stage setting. You know, we're, we have a new coach. Uh, we have a, a different type of team that we're looking at. Um, Ty, what was the there? There were, the, you know, the biggest sort of the I remember the biggest story going into this tournament was Donovan had taken a year off to work on his mental health. Uh, so this is sort of the 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 latter stages of Donovan's career, makes a comeback, is in camps, and gets left off of this squad for, yeah. uh, you know, the, the big comparison is Julian Green goes with, yep. right? So yep. Yep. Um, yep. This, this ended up feeling, so that was the big story. And overall, coming into this tournament, it was a very German-influenced uh, team, right? We had Fabian Johnson. We had yep. uh, uh, the aforementioned Julian Green making my ties. We had John Brooks. Uh, and we, of course, had uh, Jermaine Jones, right? Anything else to add about the general context before this uh, tournament? Yeah, I think the, the big narrative is Jurgen putting his stamp on the team. Uh, so the, the hiring of Jurgen Klinsmann was amazing. I mean, the U.S. had always had these kind of pragmatic choices at coach and had never gone for the big, you know, home run hire, um, and Klinsman in uh, in '06 had done a, a admirable job with the German national team, had a pretty high profile, and was was targeted by the U.S. Uh, you know for the role that Bradley ended up filling. So the U.S. had wanted him for a long time. Uh, it was a good fit because he he is married to an American. He lives in lived in California. I think still does. And uh, he he shook things up and the, the U.S. asked him to shake things up and he did. He delivered on that. And one of the big things that he did was he just left no stone unturned in, in terms of finding these dual nationals to, to play for the U.S. Oh, Timmy Chandler, and lest I forget. Timmy Chandler, absolutely, who's on the squad. Uh, bench, Benchy Chandler never saw the field. Um, and these players did change things. I mean, and, and there was a lot of consternation about, oh, are they really American? Which I think is absurd. Uh, there's you know, little more American than, you know, these like far flung diasporas where the U.S. has has gone and and, you know, uh, spread itself, you know. So it makes complete sense. I think there's a there's an absolute Americanness in in loving the country, no matter where you're raised, um, as we see with, you know, Serginio Dest, you know, modern day context. Absolutely. And the, the love for America can be just as rich. Uh, from from these folks, so I think it's it's a uh, it's pretty um, 
pretty pretty weak to to claim it's, otherwise. It's pretty weak. And how American is it as well? Not just to have dual nationals, but to have you know this a sort of a spread of how many generations have you been American? There's like recent immigrants and then there's like a few generations and then there's people who, you know, yeah, for whatever yeah. reason like, feel like they've been American from the start, you know, the, their the Bradleys fought in the revolution yeah. or something, <laughs> some shit. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And how normal yeah. is that? I mean, anyone who's been to any, you know, public school in America probably has had that experience of, you know, everyone's kind of got their, their spread, their story. Um, exactly. And, and exactly. more on that a little bit later. But let's dive into this fucking match. So where are we at are in the tournament? We're in the, the group stage. We're in game one, game minute one, one of the minute tournament. One. Okay, here we go. And the, it, the thing, the way this sets up is that the U.S. is in the quote, so-called group of death, Ghana, Portugal, and Germany. I think, you know, Portugal's in the top 10. Germany's the world number one at this point or, or number two. And uh, and Ghana always a solid team that that hurts us. So when the draw comes out, I mean, it's not looking good. You know, the Ghana has beaten us two World Cups in a row. It's hard to chalk that in as a W. Um, and then Portugal and Germany, obviously, very tough. Um, but the U.S. So the U.S. knows that if it has to have any shot of going through, got to get three points. We out somehow of this have one to, point. We, not we have enough. to get it done. Got to win in the Ghana Bonanza yep. climax. Cue the national anthem. Round three. Dempsey. Eyes of death. Cue Kiefer Sutherland. Cue, Cue the national Sutherland. anthem. <laughs> Cue the national anthem. Uh, yeah. So the big the big thing for me is Dempsey's face. Uh, not singing the anthem in retrospect, even more Full poignant focus. than anyone Full ever focus. thought it was, yes. because thirty seconds into this game, he's been uh, thinking for for, for four years, years about this moment. about this game. Thirty seconds into this game, the ball pops out to Dempsey. He he has this crazy half turn in the in the box, megs someone, and then sh- slots it to the right side with his left foot, and all of a sudden, very US unconventional. Finish. One very yeah. unconventional yep. finish. Dempsey was more ready than anyone in the universe for this tournament to start. Yep. Ty, you remember Before how this the fans felt when this had goal their beer? <laughs> Sorry, say that again. Sorry. Do you remember how how this felt when this goal went in? Oh, sheer ecstasy! Ecstasy! I, 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 it's, Couldn't it's, believe it. I mean, it's Could up there with it. the Algeria with the Donovan uh, Algeria goal, and yeah. just the feeling of like of being able to breathe because I, you know, you know how I am during these games. I mean, I'm I'm. Literally in the corner in the fetal position for like substantial stretches of big games, especially when when it's uh, when it's still tied, and uh, and things feel feel tight. And this like just let the whole team just just relax and settle in a little bit and start to play. And it was just one of the most epic moments I've, I've ever seen from from a U.S. team to score in the first minute or two minutes of a world cup it's it's unbelievable and so the spoiler alert for this this pod episode is these are ultimately the moments that birthed this podcast um yeah so that's right so here i am watching you know this the, this tournament changed the course of my life and there are so many yep. events in this game that i remember as each one each moment in this game i remember on its own, almost, and to to go back and rewatch it, I couldn't believe that all of these moments were in one game. So it starts with the Dempsey goal, uh, Dempsey more ready than anyone. Then we go into 20 minutes in, Bradley loses the ball, gets it back. R- remember, this is the tournament where Bradley covers the most ground of any player in the tournament uh, because he kept making mistakes but then making up for them. He, he, he gives an outlet <laughs> yeah. pass out to, to Altidore. The, you know, this, this duo that... 
that has, has had been with us, right? This, this important duo, Altidore, a striker that never really had yet to have his moment. Never and fired. it just, it seemed yeah. like this tournament would ha- have his moment in it somewhere. 20 minutes into it, he gets, he receives this ball from Michael Bradley and goes down with a, a hamstring injury that took him out of the tournament. And this really is, in, in retrospect, watching it back, the story of Altidore's career. You know, ultimately yep. would not go back to another World Cup, I think. Yep. I yep. think. Well, we yeah, think. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Um, so anyways, he goes down and watching that back, I, rem- I, I, I was um, struck by how inflexibly he's running. And it, and it made me remember his knees are always bent when he's running right before he goes down. And it made me remember that around this time, I think either the year after or at, at this time, Tim Howard had a quote saying he had never stretched in his life. And he started stretching to like try to maintain his oh, career no. in the latter stages. Josie. So it's just oh 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 ha- Howard Howard said that. Yeah yeah yeah. It reminds me that these are human beings who, and you think that everyone is like Steve Nash out there, like eating nuts and berries and like you know taking care <laughs> yeah, of their body exactly. perfectly. But they're not. You know, Altidore is a talented guy who probably didn't stretch that much. Goes down in the twentieth. Anyways, Aaron Johansson comes in and replaces, which was just a nice shout out. Um, I'm run. I'm. It's, it's Aaron Johansson at USMNT Fantasy Camp. Just like <laughs> happy to be here in the 32nd <laughs> minute, folks. Clint Dempsey gets kicked in the face. This is another oh my moment. God. The Dempsey Straight broken in the nose. Face. Kicked in the face. I think it's broken. Was that ever confirmed? Yeah, yeah I believe so. He gets broken it like nose. reset on the field. Comes back on yeah. three minutes later, and by the way, would finish it's this not game out. Possible. Not possible. Brooks comes in at the second half because Beasler gets another hamstring injury. So remember this tournament. Right. Fucking everyone had hamstring injuries. What was going on with the physios? John Brooks comes on. A young John Brooks. A very hairy John John Brooks. Actual hair. um, And just... There was hair. That's true. I there forgot. was actual hair. Um, and just as a side note, you know, we're witnessing the the dreaded duo, Jermaine Jones and Kyle Beckerman, that stole oh. all of our hearts oh. during this tournament, just run rampant. So the U.S. is holding on for dear life on this first minute goal from Dempsey for almost this entire game, um, chance after chance. In the second half, Asamoah Gian really gets going. Uh, and and the chances get better and better. In the 58th minute, Kevin oh Prince Boateng comes on, and it's heart it hearts in mouths, right? Because it was like this weird thing that he didn't start. And this is this is a player who's knocked us out of the tournament before. Um, classy guy, uh, and things are just heating up. <laughs> <Ish>. Tim Howard, <laughs> so I should say, a slick player, but not such a classy dude. <laughs> yeah. um, classy and- player, not classy dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Yeah, total fan. Total fan. But yeah, um, yeah story, what, a, what a storied career, uh, BT Dubs. Tim Howard is showing hints in these in these moments, uh, in the heat of the middle of the second half of what he would do it in in this tournament versus Belgium. What he would he was warming yep. up to have one of the best goalkeeping performances I've ever seen, uh, and it showed in this game in retrospect. Um, but. Alas, in the 81st minute, Andre Ayu puts one away from a backheel assist from Asamoa Gian. And uh, what are you going to do? It's 1-1. It's looking really, really bad for the U.S. Fabian Johnson is, is nowhere to be found on defense. Don't know what exactly is going through his mind. But all of a sudden, it's vindicated a few minutes later in the 86th. When it's John Brooks. Let's, let's remember, Fabian Johnson, for no reason, is starting to play striker. No one understands. Earns a corner. The corner comes in. Is it from Zussi? Zussi's here now all of a sudden. Zussi. Send Zussi. The Zussie. corner comes in, and John Brooks, baby Brooks, 
somehow gets his head on this, not enough time to think, and experiences the greatest moment of his life. For sure. We think. Oh, oh this, the greatest moment on the field, absolutely. To, to this day. To this day. And uh, perhaps something else will happen. But what a moment for John Brooks. Ends up on that mural that they made of all the greatest moments in the tournament for this. Uh, oh, my God. Comes well, in, his, gets And his reaction is just his so epic. His reaction is so he, beautiful. It's kind of what we would, any of us would do. Oh my God! Did that just happen? Oh my God! And he he scored in the World Cup later in the tournament. uh, Sorry, like post game, he talks about how he had a dream about scoring the winner in this game, and that's why he was freaking out so much. Was because he like literally dreamt of that exact moment. So weird. um, And you know, it's like inconceivable that he's he's a center back sub. You know, he's not. He wouldn't have gotten used unless Beasler had been injured. Uh, It's just incredible. So so bizarre. uh, Yeah. So what here we go. The, so the U.S. holds off to win this one. Ty, um, if you can just flash back for me, what were your first impressions in, uh, after watching this game? So, yeah, I watched these three in succession um, pretty, like, within 24 hours, uh, which I don't recommend. Um, it was a little over the top. My, my family was worried about me. Uh, and what it, what it did to me was it really, I didn't, think about soccer that much it just made me think about my life and you know you talked about the beginning of this podcast uh i you know i know this isn't really important to anyone else but i think other people will probably have similar memories if you've followed this team for a long time you know 06 i watched with my girlfriend uh and her parents at uh, at the, the family home in jersey um and then 2010 i watched with you and you know she was at that point my wife we watched that at our our place in in New York where we grew up and 2014 I watched with my wife and my son at our place in in Brooklyn uh and it was just and and my wife was pregnant at the time with my my second child so the the games just like circumscribe my life in this really beautiful way and it just made me think about like the role of fandom and of sports in in our lives and the 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 role that they play in bringing us together um and you know the these these moments definitely played a big role in bringing us together you and I and uh and creating things like this show where we these are the moments that that really inspire you when when the stakes are highest uh and the the emotions are the most raw and the, the, every minute matters so much, you know, these, these are, when you think about that 2014 cycle really coming down to this 90 minutes, it's, it's hard to fathom. It's hard to understand the kind of pressure that these guys face. And I think that's why you see these like, (laughs) like 18 hamstring injuries because they're just so fucking hype to get going. Um, and yeah, I, I just looking back on it, I just realized, you know, how how beautiful my experience has been with this team, uh, win, lose or draw. I think a lot of the listeners will resonate with that. And then people who are newer to this team, um, you know, should understand that, you know, you're, you're signing up for something that's more than than sports. You know, this is it's it's patriotism, it's family. And, you know, I think I, I, I think that's probably what Kwame will talk about, too, from from a, a, a you know, very unique angle with these games. Yeah. Um, well, I think that's and, beautifully yeah. said, and and it's so true. Each one of these is is a is a moment in time. You know, I remember 
06, <clears throat> as I mentioned, like I'm slowly getting into this team, and 2014 was where it really hit me in the face yep. and changed my life. Uh, but hit yeah, 06, I, I like remember Brooks. the. The pizza, just You're like dumbfounded. <laughs> I remember the pizza place down the street would have those the Italy pictures for forever and ever. That's right. That's uh, right. After '06, right. and then you see 2010 with the with that classic Spain team, and and you know the the influence that Pep Guardiola has had on the game, um, and then and then of course 2014. I'm I'm in I'm in I think I'm in Baltimore by then, or almost. I'm right out of college and. Yeah, I think we did uh, watch some of these games together, although not this game. And we watched them with none other than Kwame, who you just brought up. So let's get Kwame on the phone and and talk about uh, and find out a little bit about his experience with this. Um, uh, One sec. Be right back. All right, folks, we got Kwame on the line. Couldn't be more jazzed for it. What's up, bruv? Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Good to be back. Quamdas, Quamdas, Quamdas. So we were just kind of like just having a moment uh, here, really going back through these three games. And am am I correct in my memory that one of these games in the 2014 tournament, the three of us were at Ty's apartment? Is that right? Or was that 2010? Um, I think that was 2014. I couldn't remember if we watched this game together, but there we had you and your sister over for one of them. I remember. it wasn't, it, it, I'm pretty sure it was, mm, who, knows? Uh, who knows? I think it was, I think it was 2014. Let's just say I think we were Clayton, out of my apartment. I think Clayton, you had, <laughs> you were like just back in town. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's that, which wouldn't make sense in 2010 because I was a child. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so <an> actual minor. <laughs> okay. So, um, so, uh, Needless to say, for the folks out there, sorry, just let us have this moment, okay? This means a lot to us, and it's crazy to go back through and reminisce about these games. But uh, there is a there's a public-facing um, discussion worth having here about the dual national nature, not only of this team at the time with all these German-Americans, but of us and of our experience with this team and being American and what that means to us. Ty and I are both Japanese-American, and Kwame, you are Ghanaian-American? That is correct. You mentioned uh, when we asked you to come on to this pod that the, the emotional turmoil of, of talking about these games might be, might be a bit much. Can we start there? What, what's it like for you watching Ghana play America? Yeah, I would, you know, I would say that um, the, you know, in terms of national teams, you know, the U.S. and Ghana are the two teams that I feel the most passionate about. Um, in my, you know, flight of fancies where I like think back and I'm like, oh, I'm in a professional soccer player, you know, like I'm either representing the U.S. or I'm using, representing Ghana. And not too late, it's buddy. Not, <laughs> no, I still, I still got it. <laughs> I still, still got a chance. There's, what's the cutoff <laughs> age for that thought? Uh, it's one year later than whatever age I am now. That's how it works. Um, and... And so to see the teams you love the most play each other, uh, you know, is really rough. Um, But the first time it happens, it's sort of novel. Also, I would say in 2006, uh, international sports coverage wasn't what it was. It was really hard to follow. I mean, it was hard to follow the U.S., but it was impossible to follow Ghana 
Uh, I think maybe I had seen one or two games, you know, and I knew they're kind of like big stars. Um, but but then you think, okay, that was difficult, but that's going to happen once. But then it happens again. And then it happens again. And, <laughs> you know, I, I would, you know, it's like watching... Uh, these two beloved entities like engage in like a knife fight every four years <laughs> and you're just sitting there kind of watching in you know in like horror and like every shift every shift in advantage towards one side makes you kind of pull for the other side and that and vice versa so it's this roller coaster um throughout uh so it, yeah it's 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 intense uh and um and it's it wasn't something that i wanted to go back and revisit um <laughs> although there are particular there are certain years that are be more difficult to rewatch than others sure um so it's it's kind of like I wonder if it kind of feels like you're damned if you do damned if you don't like doesn't matter who wins you know there's there's a certain there's there's something painful about it no matter what yeah, the, I think, you know, the 2000, I think 2010, when I watched the game, um, I like had like a, I like had painted my face and I had like the Ghana flag on like one cheek and like the American flag on the oh. other. And I was watching with my sister. But I also was, you know, I posted on Facebook at the time, like, I don't want to talk about it. Don't ask me to talk about it. You know, like there, there was no way for me to like put it into context with anyone else who like wasn't, you know, wasn't in, in, in a similar, you know, sort of similar shoes. And I would also say that one of the things that's been difficult and maybe if anything has pushed me a little bit more to like the Ghana side of things is that there has now been this rivalry among with U.S. soccer fans in Ghana, like Ghana for U.S. soccer fans is like, you know, it's like the, the villain of the it's the arch nemesis. Right. Yeah. We keep facing them year after year in the World Cup. They knock us out of the World Cup twice in a row. Right. So there's this growing animus so that by the time 2014 comes around, um, uh, you know, there's this there's this extra kind of in you know, invective in like the dialogue around U.S. versus Ghana. Right, 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 right. And I'm like, what's going on? And, you know, and I know it's not, there's not anything, um, you know, mean spirited about it particularly. Well, maybe for some people, for the vast majority, it's just like, it's just a sports rivalry, right? And we, we wear our passions on our sleeve. But, you know, if I'm scrolling along on Twitter and someone's like, you know, screw Ghana. I'm like, oh, wait, you know, that's, those are my, you know, those are my All people. they did was, like, play well. Put, yeah. Play their best twice in a row against us. It's like, fuck those guys. <laughs> right. And, and not only, and not only play well, but actually be this story that I think normally would probably be embraced, you know, by Oh, yeah. America, absolutely. right? Yeah. yeah. The, this, you know, this relatively small African Asian, but sort of rising in power like on the world stage, you know, yeah. this real kind of like underdog status and, and punching above their weight. Uh, I think that a lot of Americans would have embraced Ghana, but you know, except for the World Cup draw, you know, the vagaries of that. So, so right. that was also. Right. Well, I, I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about like the Ghana soccer history 
and you know Ghanaian culture broadly and how it views soccer because I, I I only know the basics uh, you know of the history and everything. Um, I'm, I'm I'm curious to hear if the like the these recent teams are unusual or if the you know this is kind of like a prototypical style. I am not the best person to answer this as like a you know sort of like American born Ghanaian American, um, and as I said, it was sort of hard to follow up until recent yeah, years. What true. I would say is that um, you know soccer. Football. How about if I, sport. a white man, answer it um, from the Wikipedia about Ghana Football Association? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, so, you know, it was the main sport, right? And there were, you know, there was, you know, a league um, in Ghana and one that uh, that people in Ghana feel very passionate about. My father still talks very passionately about Asante Kotoko, which is like his favorite team. And their insignia, you know, nice. which is a porcupine. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's there's always more to like, you know, sting you with. And if one quill falls out, there's always more, <laughs> right? So, um, and and like any other nation, right? There's you know regional passions around your your local team. Uh, but for a lot of uh, the 20th century and into the 21st century, but definitely the 20th century, the story of Ghanaian football is the story of uh, a lot of um, Africa and other and other regions of the world, right? It's really right. a post-colonial story. Um, you know, I I emphasize this. My father, right, who's you know in his late seventies, when he was born, his country was a colony, uh, and it wasn't until he was like a teenager Fuck. that his country was not a colony. So, you know, to to bring it for a second right into this moment that oh we have when God, we're talking yeah. about Black yeah. Lives Matters and all these yeah. kind of racial shifts, it's within the living memory of people in this country, right, right? right the right, civil right, rights right. moment. But it's within the living memory of many people across the globe, right. India, most, pretty much all of Africa, lots of other places, where when they were born, their country was a colony, and that meant all of the resources of the country were in many ways leaving the country. And so that right. certainly affected like what money is there, uh, you know, for leagues and, and things like right. that. You know, you know, when, when people are, are still struggling to find money to go to high school. Right? So, and that's what I mean uh, when I talk about uh, Ghana in its development in late 20th century, it emerging on, uh, on the world stage um, is is as much a, a sort of political and economic story mm. as it is anything else. Because like many countries post-colonialism, there were a lot of struggles politically. Um, you know, there were democracies and there were coups and there were democracies and there were coups. Um, uh, it's too much to say what role the U.S. had to play in either democracies or the coups. But, <laughs> right. um, but Ghana... In moving into you know late twentieth century, early twenty first century, um, really has, in my opinion, I think the opinion of a lot of people, really been um, a a bit of a success story in terms of its political and economic stability, and coming along with that uh, is one of the signs of that is soccer yep. success to yep, an extent, yep. right? That we we know that uh, economics has a lot to do with how a nation performs in terms of its international sports. Yeah. Uh, and so Ghana, 
um, you know, emerging and making its run in 2006 and particularly in 2010, and I want to come back to 2010, but also that it's been able to, to, it was able to go to three World Cups in a row and, you know, make it to the knockout rounds um, in those first two and, you know, just barely not make it out of the group of death in 2014 and go toe-to-toe to Germany and come close to beating Germany in their in their head to game head game um that really was um was a statement and a success yeah. story that is really a lens i think to see what's happening in in Ghana over the past you know over these past couple of decades that you know awesome. that's my kind of helicopter view uh, <laughs> Not the best person to answer the question. <laughs> hit us hit us with the encyclopedia. Yeah, no. I, I was gonna ask about the uh the presence and influence of uh Abedi Pele and if you know much about like that that history there. And in, in this era we see his sons, uh mm-hmm. Jordan and Andre Ayu, um being, you know, big parts of the team. And they I think they embody something of what you're talking about where they, they I think are pretty much raised in France or Italy, I forget, but raised in Europe uh, because their dad's playing there. And so they, they have this like very refined, um, ta- you know, technical style uh, forged by those academies. And I think you see a lot of these like um, cross-cultural influences with a lot of, the, a lot of the, the African teams. Really, I mean, a lot of the teams that just aren't in Europe um, because Europe is kind of the epicenter of all the resources and all of the the development uh, for for bad reasons, right? Um, so I'm I'm just curious if you ha- if you know much about that history and like the influence that he had on on the game and whether whether like what was it a situation where he was like a star that elevated the game there or was it that the entire football infrastructure started to revolve around him at the expense of other things? So I don't know too much in the way of the details. I mean, I know, you know, he was a huge, you know, he was a huge name and, and a huge star. And um, and I think certainly the brightest star, um, you know, for a while. Um, and, you know, I know more about his sons, obviously, because I've been able to watch them directly. Um, I think it is a reflection of, you know, the fact that they chose to play for Ghana as opposed to you know, perhaps trying to play for European countries where they were eligible mm-hmm. is, you know, a complicated story, right? We, we've talked many times on the show about being a dual national and, you know, sort of telling loyalties and who would you play for um, if you had a choice. Um, I think that um, part of the story, again, which I was emphasizing before, is that if you're you know, if the African nations or other, um, you know, developing nations or post-colonial nations, however you want to group them, um, are in a position where they can actually start to be a force in the international game, then it actually becomes um, more of an equal choice right. that a person is is able to make. Uh, I mean, the, you know, let's take a look at the, you know, let's t- and many people have made this point, but let's take a look at the French national team. Oh, my God. That just yeah. won yeah. the last World Cup. Right. Um, and, you know, I mean, you can go back even further, right, to like 98. Right. And you right. Know, if it was Absolutely. a real choice, you know, to, for Desai Zidane to play for Henri. all his years and Desai yeah. and, you know, Taram and 
you know, and uh, and all these guys, but particularly this, you know, this 2018 World Cup team, you know, with Pogba and the Tweedy and Mbappe and like all these players, right? and, yep. and Conte, right? If you, you know, if half of those um, players decide to play for their nation of origin, if their nation of origins um, are um, are in the World Cup, and I'll also say, if it was not so insanely difficult to qualify out of Africa. Yes, I was going to mention for that. the World yeah. Cup. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, you know, Europe gets you know fourteen slots, you know, plus Africa gets four. Five, right? Yeah, uh, or is it five now? Um, and uh, I think people don't always recognize the disparity in that for a couple of reasons. One, because we think of soccer powers as being European. Mm -hmm. Um, But two, also, because of the maps that we use, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. people don't realize how much more massive Africa is than Europe. Uh, So they think, like, you know, and this is maybe a very American problem, but I think it's a fairly worldwide sort of like Eurocentric problem. Africa is massive. Uh, compared to compared to Europe, and so right. I think. It, but people look at like this sort of common map. It doesn't seem it doesn't seem like such a skewed thing. And so you know, France, because of its economic resources, uh, you know, and and but number of qualifying spots mm-hmm. um, is often more likely to be in the World Cup. Although they right. they've certainly missed out on qualification. Um, but you know, you can't. But if you're going to declare to play for the Congo, let's say, um, you know, the chances are that you're going to make it to a World Cup, both because of being unsure if the other eligible players of best quality are going to play for the Congo, but then even if they do, if you're going to make it through the grueling um, qualification process out of Africa for the World Cup, uh, that that gets that gets called into question. So. Um, yeah, it's a it's a self fulfilling prophecy, right? Because the the you know the European uh, yeah UEFA gets more slots because the teams are better, which means that the best players are incentivized to keep playing for UEFA when they have the choice between UEFA mm-hmm. and other and other confederations. And it's it's just the tendrils of of colonialism. You know, it's this mm-hmm. like we're we've been obviously thinking a lot about and talking a lot about how racism affects society in America and how we've you know essentially like replaced. Uh, mandate state mandated racism with with just mm-hmm. institutionalized systems that are that are biased and you know de facto uh, racist kind of apartheid structures and that's the case with this you know you have you have European academies coming to African countries and plucking the best talent and then those those players ultimately choosing to play for those European countries no no you know, no judgment on them. That's that's a personal choice, but it's just the dynamic that that creates is it perpetuates the in, imbalance. Um, I don't. Do you, is there something that can be done about that? <laughs> well, shouts to the shouts to the Africa Cup of Nations for that reason, which I think has gained some popularity. Um, Great more tournament. Recently. I love. Yeah, I love just Afcon. an incredible yeah. tournament and and uh, an opportunity to kind of right that wrong by, uh, you know, the, the consuming public. Like, the more we tune into a tournament like that or the more we sure, tune into, sure. let's say, like yeah. the NWSL or, you know, any, when there are these inequalities, they can be righted by the, 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 um, 
the consuming public by making those tournaments more important, more, giving them more attention and more money. That's true. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that, um, you know, success breeds success, um, but also parody, I think, breeds parody. Um, when, when we were talking before about, you know, when you made the offer to rewatch the U.S. Ghana games, um, and, you know, I said, like, you know, the emotional duress was, was a lot. Um, <laughs> part of that was, is uh, based a lot on the experience of 2010. Uh, and I know we've, we've gone longer than, mm. than we sort of planned, but, you know, feel it. No, all good. Me. No, Solid gold. So, Keep it up. So 2010, <laughs> right? There's that, you know, that's the, that's right. The extra time game. Um, and Asamoah Gyan, you know, scores. It's important also to remember, like, 2010, right? This is the World Cup in South Africa, right? This is the first World Cup on African soil. Uh, this is the first World Cup on African soil in uh, a nation that was the symbol of, yep. uh, you know, colonial and racial... Um, uh, oppression right. for years and years, and whose president at the time of the World Cup, Nelson Mandela, was a political prisoner for decades, right? So this is the setting that, that we're in. And South Africa, as the host nation, they have a great scene, but they, they get eliminated. And so do other African nations. So Ghana is like the only one left. Uh, and, but it's a really good team. Uh, and they're playing amazingly well. That U.S. team was a really good team, and they were able to eliminate that that team. Um, that is also that Ghana team was also arguably playing without their best player, Michael Essien, yep, yep. who had torn, I think, his ACL. Right, and you know, this is Mike, uh, Michael Essien. Right, was a starting midfielder for Chelsea and then Real Madrid at this time. So you know, people who might not be familiar with Michael Essien, like you're taking that caliber of midfielder out of out of any international team you're going to hurt but Ghana despite that really is uh succeeding and then they hit their quarterfinal against Uruguay and it's the famous Luis Suarez uh handball off of the line in you know in <sighs> extra time right that <sighs> would have <sighs> that would have sent Ghana through to the semifinals the first african nation ever to do it in a stadium full of, in a stadium full of people who just a few years ago would have had no rights in their own country, right? And so the amount of energy that was in that stadium, right? The amount of energy that was wanting to bite, to to have Ghana advance, not in, not against Uruguay, but as like a symbol of this sort of. Yep resurgence of the continent and i was watching this game with my parents i was watching it actually with my with my sister and my parents who were in town uh and when the penalty kick for gian crashed across the crossbar i literally pitched forward onto my face i was watching on my on my knees <laughs> in front of the tv and i literally pitched forward and did like a face plant on the ground um <laughs> Because it was just so, it was it was just so heartbreaking. Because you you knew, um, you could you. I can only imagine what it felt like to be in that stadium, right? And what the energy and emotion that John was feeling in that moment, and 
you know, the Jubilani was an extra light ball. Ah. And, you know, just that extra bit of oomph that I think that he put on that kick took it just a little bit too high. And then, you know, because uh, uh, his next penalty kick, he was perfect on. He took yep. the first one in the penalty kick yep. shootout, yep. but got it fell apart in that penalty yep. kick shootout. And that, because of what that moment could have, you know, have meant and symbolized, uh, is really the reason that I, it's probably a game I will never, never rewatch. Um, but moving forward, you know, we are going to have an expanded World Cup field. Mm-hmm. Um Part of the reason that was voted for by so many of the um, uh, African nations who voted is that it's going to allow them to have more slots. Right. Um, you know, proportionally, they're going to get more new slots than, you know, than Europe is going to get. Um, I mean, it's almost impossible for Europe to get more slots, but... Um, uh, Kosovo, so I think come that, on in. Yeah. <laughs> And so my hope is that we we start to see uh, a shift in that direction, that as we see more nations with an opportunity to stay, as we see more economic growth um, and uh, and stability in in various nations, uh, that we'll see soccer develop in these nations. Uh, And so, yes, it is about supporting like the African Cup of Nations and and these other tournaments. But I would also say, you know, it's probably on a political level, uh, it's about holding companies to account mm. in terms of their, um, in terms of their international presence. Right. Right. Are, you know, are they, are they, um, you know, are they using cocoa, that is um, that is sourced equitably, or is it essentially you know child and um, you know coerced labor? Um, where are you getting your you know diamonds and um, and precious metals from? Right for the smartphones, like are you know asking these questions of companies uh, before you buy your before you buy their products? Um, are they? Are, do they, is their economic presence in Africa in a way that is beneficial to all parties, to the people on the ground in Ghana, to the companies that may be based, uh, based other places, to the consumers? Um, because if it's not, um, you know, it's just perpetuating this long, uh, this long history, or at least you're know, not doing anything to put the brakes on it. Uh, I was reading this book, because um, we all have both no time and tons of time, but I was reading this book <laughs> called Lords of Finance, uh, which was about the European central banks in the period basically um, between like the end of World War One and the beginning of World War II. Uh, and there's a lot of talk of like the gold standard, but basically without getting too deep into the weeds, the entire economic system of England and therefore a large portion of Europe in much of the 1800s and, you know, into like the 20th century was based on gold that they took out of South Africa. Like the whole, the whole, like a big part of the economic engine of Europe for much of its sort of like growth period is just gold that they took out of another person's, out of other people's country. 
you know, and, uh, you know, and there are, you know, even though we're in a different situation now, I mean, you know, we can talk about the parallels of that with, you know, uh, the, the, you know, the, the various metals being taken out of Africa today. It's not gold to, to a mm-hmm. certain degree, but it's other, it's other metals, you know, and if we go back in history, I mean, you know, the South Americans can say the same. I mean, yep. Spain's entire economy is, you know, based out of the gold, the silver they took out of Bolivia, you know, and it's and it's an interesting thought experiment to think about, like what would have happened if they had to pay for that silver or that silver remained in Bolivia, right? Like what is, what does our globe look like today? But that's again, that's very much in the weeds for a soccer podcast. But I would say that that, you know, in this time when we're thinking about, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter, and as soccer fans, I, I think we're obligated to think globally and so what does that you know what does that mean on a, on a global sense uh for, for black lives matter on africa but also you know black immigrants in europe or you know um or other other parts of the world you know so i think if you if you want uh healthy competitive world soccer and you enjoy that then you need to support economic balance. And I, I, you know, I, I don't know if that, that shouldn't be your primary motivation to, to seek economic balance, but I think it's safe to say that, like, yeah. the, the... In the context the game, of this podcast, you know, if yeah, you love right, World the, Cups, you right. should... World Cups can only exist because of, because of competition, right? And, and yeah. Yeah, I think the net effect of the... Because these, these things are compounding. It's like, you know, wealth generation where the more that the European teams are able to kind of plunder the talent from other areas, the more their incentive, the, the more players are incentivized to go there. Um, and so you, so I think these, these, uh, these issues all have great bearing on the game and, uh, and, and what we see on the field. And I think we, it, the more important probably ramification of that is that we can use soccer as a corollary for, how we're progressing as as a society. So, I think you're right. When when we see um, nations able to kind of keep their their best talent, that's that's probably an indication that things are moving in in more positive directions. Um. Well, Kwame, um, we could not be more grateful for your your presence on the pod. Is there anything that maybe I'm forgetting to ask you about uh, in terms of your experience with this uh, this rivalry? Anything you want to leave? You don't want to leave left unsaid for the Ghana Bonanza. Um, no, I think the only thing I would say is, um, uh, you know, I, I still retain you know, great love for both Ghana and the U.S. And I want, you know, I want them both to succeed. Um, but I don't want them ever to play each other <laughs> again unless it's a World Cup final. Like, if we're playing in the World Cup final, then, it's a win-win. then, then I'm there <laughs> all around, and I'm going to be... I'm going to be there, you know, I'm going to be there in the stadium and I'll be laughing and I'll be crying. But, you know, can you can you give me a can you bring me a break? Although I will also say that I didn't appreciate the sort of break that I got in 2018 when neither team. Made yeah, it to the exactly. World Cup. Yes. It was like, you know, I was like praying, like, on, please on, don't make on. them play together again. And I was like, wait, wait, I, I was not specific enough in my prayer. Uh, so uh, I will not make that mistake again. Um, I will not make that mistake again. I, I have a last question for you, Kwame. Um, yes. 
this is what I've really been struggling with, just like on the field here. Is the U.S. better than in 2006? Uh, I mean, <sighs> possibly. <laughs> no. I mean, one, one, for, for, I, I, part of the hesitation there is I remember, I remember 2002 and 2010 more than I remember 2006, just because 2000, 2006 was, um, my like intern year of medical school and so i had ah, no so freedom so like so that, that that whole year is like a blur of let's like, just say 10 you know, 24 ten, hour 10 is like the that you know rather successful world cup really good team right yeah we're, we're 10 years on uh, are we any better um i don't think we're better right now but i think in two years and maybe this is the eternal optimism <laughs> but i think that i think that so in two years right i think that you know pulisic and geo reyna and tyler adams right and you know and weston like this core that we're seeing come through and then the people behind it i think that we are poised to have maybe not a starting 11 that's um that's hugely better than 2010 but a better 18 than mm-hmm. we had mm-hmm. i think that maybe you know we're 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 in a position where we won't have the same degree of of drop off right. uh i mean you know 2008 2014 is a you know 2014 is also you know a year right which is a weird year to think about but you know we could have you know we could have knocked off belgium right we could have actually advanced but also Zussi! That was a tournament oh, no. where we I'm lost. Not um, uh, Chris the Miss. Chris the Miss. Lost good, right? But, you know, we also lost Josie Altidore, right? Yep. Really early in that tournament. And we had, like, nowhere else to go, you know? And um, we didn't have anyone else that was, like, a like for like replacement. Um, so I, I think that we're not going to have those depth issues moving forward and i think that's probably going to be that's probably going to be pretty key um, that's a great point i don't i don't I think, think we're going to be starting the robbie finleys of the world in any uh critical matches anytime soon right i think we're going to yeah, be able to I, find better but that said uh Giassi's artist did play like 70 percent of the minutes in the last tournament that's right Giassi's <laughs> artist Giassi's artist ghanaian american and i will also say as a as I, I'm going to say this next statement. I, I feel like I've I've said this many times. Uh, my love for both you know Ghana and the U.S. Right, it's indelible. But you know we've also talked about soccer hates in the past, and I've talked about my hatred for Bayern Munich. I think in the past, just Ooh. because you know. Um, but it is looking as if pod, we're pod unanimous on that one. Yeah, but it's looking as if. Within the next couple of years, it's possible that the back line of Bayern Munich <laughs> could be Alfonso Davies, uh, Ghanaian-Canadian. He was born in Ghana. I didn't know this until a little while. Ghanaian-Canadian on the Did left. I know. Chris Richards at center back, American-born in Alabama. And then Serginho Dest, 
you know, you <laughs> playing the for the U.S. Like it could yes. have, we could have a back line of Bayern Munich Woo. that is like right up my alley. And then what am I going to do? Mia San Mia. You know, what, then what am I going to do? I, I'm like, We're I'm going to have to in. not, I don't know. You're so. going to have to root against well, Dortmund. It's going to be a sad, sad day. It'll be, it'll be thrilling when they go for their 13th title in a row. So the, the <laughs> it'll, drama. Be, it'll be a weird day. But if that if that happens, uh, I mean, if that happens, mostly because if that happens, it means that Chris Richards has like broken through and is starting it at Bayern Munich. Like, you know, and it'll be I'll, I'll be able to swallow that pill, you know. Yeah, I'll take it. I'm yeah. I'm, I'm currently rooting for Chelsea every week. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I understand that times. phenomenon. <laughs> bizarre times. All right. I'll let you guys go. Thanks so much oh. for including me in this. Thank you, Kwame. Beautiful words. All right, so we are back. Uh, thank you. Thank God for Kwame. Shouts to the base god, Kwamdas. Holy shit, are we not so lucky. Welcome back from Kwame's master class. Yes, welcome on, uh, back. political from... science. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're here now. Uh, just <laughs> us to, to wrap up what, what has been an incredible journey. Um, not just the Ghana Bonanza, but all the way back to 1990 or whatever, when we started these, these Storytime podcasts. Oh, 90. Um, <laughs> we, to, to 090. <laughs> we have learned. We have seen so much. We have learned so much. Claudio Reyna has come and gone, and Gio Reyna is here. Uh, Ty, let's full wrap up this circle. 2014. Full circle, baby. Let's wrap up this 2014 tournament. Uh, so the U.S. got the dub, finished out the Ghana Bonanza in style, and then um, how did the rest of this tournament go? So the U.S. progressed to the second game, uh, outplayed Portugal in for, for long stretches of their uh, match. Portugal was clearly um, off in this tournament uh, for one reason or another. And the U.S., just about one except for some some confusion i don't remember who it was who couldn't take the ball to the corner at the end of the game but someone failed to basically just like kill the game dead and the ball found its way to uh a this guy named uh cristiano ronaldo who turns out to be pretty good and he whipped in a cross from the right for portugal's very average striker to uh head home um over a flailing uh, Tim Howard, who was just livid. So the U.S. missed out on kind of going through right on the spot in the second game, um, but had four points going into the Germany game, so uh, a loss would have possibly been, probably been fine. Um, and if they got a point or a win, they would have been through. Uh, and they lost narrowly. Clint missed a, a guilt-edged chance to score in that game, and Jermaine Jones did a lot of very passionate, hard-running uh, but couldn't quite make the breakthrough happen. Um, Jermaine Jones had so much to prove in this. And so Germany just, I remember, oh God. I remember Germany just seeming very like um, pedestrian, like, all right, third game, like calm down America. Let's yeah, let's yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Rounds. It was, it was like a German, you know, a like, German team that would go on to win this tournament. By when the way. you have like a, that, that classic <laughs> image of like a, a tiny kid trying to fight a big kid and the big kids just like holding the tiny kid's head and the little <laughs> yeah. kid is like flailing. Like That's that. kind of how that game was. <laughs> so, so we almost got knocked out because if um, Ghana had beaten Portugal in the last game, actually uh, the, I think the way the goal difference worked out, um, we would have been out. Uh, luckily, Portugal scored. The Ghana did not win, and we went through to face Belgium, and we lost to Belgium. Uh, it should have been a 
uh, utter massacre and ended up being tight. And we lost ultimately because of uh, Landon Donovan's replacement missing in the last couple minutes. Uh, Chris the Miss, sorry. So 2014 ended uh, sourly. Never forget. Never forget. Never forget. Well, maybe we should forget, but <laughs> we, we can move on. It wasn't his fault. Uh, but, you're, you know, Jürgen, 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 and the Jürgen, Jürgening helped us, and then it hurt us. I can't leave the Belgium game without talking about Tim Howard again. Yeah, um, Tim Howard had, had the most epic performance in, in World Cup history from a goalkeeper standing on his head. But, you know, you don't want to be known for that as a national team, so I don't, I don't yeah. dwell on that too much. You try but, not to dwell? Well, anyways, yeah. it got me going. Um, so, yeah, Jürgen Jürgen for, for better Jürgen and for worse Jürgen. Yep. Jürgen's going to Jürgen. We, there, was, there was many emotions. Jermaine Jones, indicative of the, the sort of uh, emblematic of the Jürgen era. And then um, my brother and I uh, had a discussion, which we realized that we both really enjoyed this tournament, had a great time talking about it. Yep. And uh, I was moving around, and we thought this would be a great way to keep in touch forever. So let's do this until the USA wins the World Cup. And this was, unfortunately, the last time the U.S. played in a World Cup. In the World Cup, <laughs> so here yeah. We are. So here we are. Six years um, later. Six years later, still doing this stupid fucking podcast, um, <laughs> waiting for the U.S. Love to you. go to the World Cup love again. Love you, guys. We love you. We love you guys. Uh, but So thank you to all of you who have been with us uh after this i think we're gonna do you know we're, we're kind of we're, we're still we're seeing how the tea leaves shake out and trying to figure out when the next uh, nats game is going to occur but um there's 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 more to talk about folks we have we've done what we could to essentially tell the story of the modern day era uh for the nats but we would love to now explore uh dive in a little deeper on perhaps some individuals so um, next up, we are going to have a discussion about how and why, a deep dive about how and why a player named Clint Dempsey happened. Clinton how did this happen? Drew. We want to understand because uh, Donovan and, and Beasley were created uh, by alchemy, by the, the powers that be and, and made on purpose. But someone named Clint Dempsey uh, would rise to become the best player ever for us, I think. And uh, it's a little bit hard to explain how that happened. So we're going to try to figure that out next episode. Folks, I hope that you loved this. I hope that you learned something. I know that I did um, so much. And uh, yeah, just just stay with us as we take this one week at a time and continue to love the Nats. Ty, any last words before we, we leave Ghana Bonanza forever? Put this one in the, the uh, archives. I'm, I'm grateful for the role that the USMNT has played in my life, and I, I love evangelizing it to other people because I think there's so much to, to enjoy, uh, even when the team is shit. And that just means there's going to be all the more enjoyment when the team's not shit. <laughs> Someday. <laughs> That's right. 2022, the, here we come. Off, yeah, off the air, we, we just had a, a sort of sprawling soccer discussion with Kwame that would be great for a Patreon, but will never be heard ever. <laughs> but <it's, laughs> but we, did, we did talk about like, all right, what's the best, you know, is, are we better than we were in 2006 or in 2010, really? Um, and, and Ty, where do, you, where do you land on that? Maybe we can close on this. What's, of all the eras that we've seen, going <sighs> yeah. back into the 90s, what's the best U.S. soccer team there has ever been? That's a great question. I, uh, you, I should say USMNT because clearly the, none right, of these yeah, men's of teams are even in contention. Yeah, yeah. Um, the best USMNT 
I, I think that the, the period that stands out to me the most was the build-up to the 2014 World Cup. I think the U.S. won, I think, 12 out of 14 games, something like that, um, and did was actually playing really well. Performances were actually good. The results were sort of, like, empirically and visually strong. Um, so I, I guess kind of leading into that Ghana game, that was maybe the peak. Uh, I, actually, the, the Portugal game, the first half of that Portugal game, I remember being probably the best I've seen the U.S. play in a World Cup. So for me, um, so for me, it, 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 it's probably more the 2010 team. And I think, was that what Kwame was saying also? It's, I think it's, for me, more the 2010 team. It felt by 2014 that some of these players had, like, tried and failed in the Premier League. And that in 2010, you know, Michael Bradley was new and shiny. Altador was new and shiny. Uh, and we had Dem- Dempsey Donovan in their prime, you know, but... Um, yeah, that is hard to 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 miss, and and uh, the the 2010 team undoubtedly a great team. Well, I, as as I said, kind of hampered by some of the coaching decisions at times, but um, but what I think what Kwame pointed out is very very apt, which is that the ten the 2010 team probably had the best top six players that we've seen uh, in a U.S. shirt, but the depth wasn't there. And over yeah. time, I think we are we are really building that depth. So I I, I do feel that. We're on the verge of of eclipsing those teams, um, but it, it's it's not easy. It takes more than just having you know a bunch of players at Chelsea and and uh, and Munich and you know wherever. It takes finding some of those truly special talents who can not just fit into a great team in Europe, but can lead a worse team in the U.S. You know, and I, I don't yeah. think we've seen that yet from from Pulisic that he really wants to be in that role or, or can function well in that role. Like, I don't, I, I can't see him doing the things that Dempsey did, you know, in these, in these matches. Yeah. And so finding, finding that next Dempsey is, is really critical. And maybe, maybe what it takes is someone who's taken a non-traditional path, you know? That's um, right. I think it, I really think it will. I think the key here is someone we haven't heard of yet. And, and isn't right. Polisic so Donovan-ish, you know, this like, this Very, talent, very this much like, so. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there's a little bit of uh, of fragility there, um, and and a little bit of uh, overthinking. I think at times. Yeah. Uh, Pulisic. Well, as always, we are about. Yeah. Go ahead. I I think more talented. You know, I was just going to say. Yeah. It. Yeah. Ceiling sure. ceiling is higher, uh, and that's that's sure. a scary thought. So he's what is he's 21 now, he's one of Chelsea's best players this season, so it's a Champions League team in the Premier League. That's that's unheard of for for the the Nats. So. Insane. It's insane. So, uh, as always, uh, as a, as American soccer fans, uh, we are about two years away from the best team we've yep, ever had. Pretty that much is, is pretty and much. always has been true, uh, and will continue to be. But hopefully, this time it's for real, folks. Thank you so much. I love a lot of things. Uh, I I really truly enjoy um, actually. It's unpacking. I know most people don't, but there's a, there's a lot of moving going around for myself and for the people around me. And there's something very gratifying about giving everything a place. Um, it's much more fun to unpack than it is to actually get the shit in the car and move it. Uh, the unpacking stage is quite quite pleasant. <laughs> Nesting, if you will. Um, I enjoy myself a good a good uh, noise making uh, device. Something small. Something like a shaker. Let's get, get, get me a little. Get, get me a vuvuzela going. Get me, get me a finger piano. You know, I, I, that's that's my speed. Um, and I also quite 
like frozen uh, things, like ice cubes that are made of things other than water. So let's go with uh, <laughs> let's go with a little frozen coffee in your iced coffee. Come on, man, it never waters down. Incredible. But I don't love any of that shit as much as I absolutely love the gnats. Until next time. Until next time. It's we the people. It's we the people. It's we the people. It's we the people. Okay. I forgot something that would be good to add. Okay. Yeah, what you got? So just a random point. Three, (laughs) five, four. (laughs) (laughs) Another thing I want to mention is uh, the changes in the crowd. Over the course of the three games, which I think parallels mm. a lot of what, what, what has happened in U.S. soccer culture, uh, and also ultimately like why the miss in 2018 is so devastating. Um, the, you know, in, in 2006, we had a handful of uh, you know, the, the most loyal fans who kind of made it out there. The 2002 team, despite being very successful, I think the time zone played a role in it not, you know, uh, hitting the mainstream media consciousness quite as heavily. And so the 06 team was, was well supported, certainly, but, but not, uh, not on a scale that other countries would really notice. Um, and then in 2010, you know, we noted your friends uh, from last time uh, who were there at the stadium, and that, that was the beginning of a, of a surge, really, in, in U.S. support during World Cups that really ended up culminating in 2014, where the U.S., um, was the nation that bought the most tickets. Uh, obviously, that doesn't mean that the U.S. itself had the most fans because there's a lot of fans of other national teams here, but that's that's a thing. And uh, so the the U.S. contingent in, during that World Cup was astounding, and you can YouTube a lot of the fan vids and witness uh, you know pretty pro-U.S. crowds, which is hard to fathom when, especially when we don't get pro-U.S. crowds at home. Uh, so, but but the the U.S. comes out for World Cups, and you know you have Teddy Goldsevelt and the the lady in the bird costume and all that stuff, and it's it it's a thing, and it's it's really um, thanks to all of the hard work that a lot of the supporters groups have have done. I think American Outlaws sent three full planes of supporters down to Brazil. Um, so it, 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 it's sad that it didn't get to continue in 2018, but, but it's sad. It's, it's fucking tragic. I mean, it is, the difference yeah. between Burst because the, the, there. the coin flip there, like on the difference. So not going, nobody noticed or cared. Right. No one noticed or right, cared. Right, right. But if we had gone, it would have been the biggest, maybe the biggest, you know, U S presence of a world cup ever. Well, and we it's have just, it hurts so bad. The second chance we have is that 20, 2022, let, let's hope the U.S. qualifies. The U.S. could go into that tournament and rebuild some of that momentum, maybe have a good showing. And then 2026 is at home. Yeah. So as long as the U.S. kind of recovers in, in 22 and is able to put up a decent uh, you know, uh, performance, that, that will lead to a, uh, the inevitable groundswell of... Uh, of Fair, not fair weather, but just like you know, the tournaments at home kind of fans. Um, that maybe is the tipping point to a longer term culture change. So maybe by and isn't, 20- yeah, and and isn't this full circle again to like the the nineteen ninety situation, right? Where right. Like, yeah, exactly. There's a cycle of players that are like, we need to qualify for this one because the next one's at home, and exactly. that's what starts exactly. the modern era. Right. And and we right, we right. got another one of those now. Yep. And yep. Isn't so that isn't that poetic? Yep. 
it, it's poetic and hopefully, you know, if we went, if we were going from zero to five before, maybe now we're going from five to eight, you know what I mean? Yeah. That, yeah. that maybe, maybe by the 20, maybe by qualifying for the 2030 world cup, people like qualifying will be on network. Like that would right. be a big step, you know? Um, that's all we need. That's all, that's all we're hoping for. It's just like that you, you, you walk around an American city on a World Cup qualifying day and you see people in jerseys, you know? Off water cooler Is that too much to ask for? Is that too much to ask, guys? <laughs> <laughs> Rep the Nats. 